Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. What's up, dude? What's up, buddy? Look at you looking all sharp. Huh? Look Gotta at you trust. looking all sharp. Looking good, man. Got my hair cut. I'm feeling good. We got look good. Got my blue on. <laughs> good stuff, man. Like a gentleman. Hello. <laughs> What's up? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Excited for this. Me too. I'm David. Bobby's my godfather. We started the podcast together as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Pleasure to meet you, David. Nice to meet y'all. And um, if you want, you know, after you ask him all the serious questions and everything you want to talk about, uh, he's got some great animal stories. And I know you've got some good animal bits. So <laughs> I might be able to get some magic out of that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's, it's like, 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 I'm not going to be you know, yes, I have the obvious things we'll put out there to, to help, but I also want people to know, like, who are you at the end ask, of the day? Ask him about his weird pets over the years. <laughs> we, we had a, we had an emu fairly recently and it kind of reminds me of your ostrich bit or driving. <laughs> <laughs> what other, what other, what other pets are going uh, on? A seal. What? And yeah, well, he'll explain, you know, he'll explain okay. it, but when he was growing up, he was able, he, he would, he had, because of, you know, his uncle in the presidency and this position his dad was in and other family members he had, a, and just the laws were not like they are now. He had the ability to have much more exotic animals than, and he, I, he took I advantage of that. There's, there's some really great stuff there. And I think you too, I think that would be magic between you all if you talked about that. David, we're going to come out of the gate with that. <laughs> Hands down, because I'd much rather people know that first uh, than to jump into whatever. Yeah, I think that's smart. It's also we're doing so many interviews and everything. Oh, you know, it's you exhausting. Know, he's, he's well, he's great about not saying the same sound bites over and over where most politicians are. But just the um, quantity of interviews and podcasts we're doing, they are they are starting to become a little repetitive. So, of course. You know, I, I came on here, my wife and I were talking and she's like, just know the guy. Who's the guy? Who, who, who's the, who's who, the kid, the teenager, the kid mm -hmm. growing up. And I went, I, that's who I really want to know. Even though I know people are going to be like, get to the point where, so ask him that. It's just, I want to find the human. I think we need right. a human. And that's, that's kind of why i related to him starting about two years ago i i didn't see him announcing that that really perked me up I'm like whoa i didn't see that coming i was already listening and fascinated with him and following him and telling people like have you seen you seen some of robert's videos it's like but what what also blows me away is how people go like who's uh wait is he like related to the kid? Like, oh my God, you don't even know. But there's a lot of people like that, which is mind boggling, but it is what it is. I guess you can't take that um, for granted. Right. But yeah, I love this. I'm going to jump yeah. right into emu. Emus, exotic animals. 
I mean, that's seals. Uh, he had a pet lion when he was in junior high school. Oh, oh my God. It's all in his book. It's he talks about a lot of this in his book, American Values. Okay. This is hilarious. This is hilarious. This should be the podcast before it even comes out. You know, when I was I I, I changed a, I, I I even did a bit where I went, you know, at first I wanted to be a superstar and blah blah blah. And part of that is I wanted I wanted leather pants. And I wanted a kangaroo because to me, that's what represented being successful. If I would go to the mall with leather pant, like red leather that Eddie Murphy wore in his first comedy. And I got it. I wanted a white tiger and I figured I wasn't going to be able to do that. So I'll get a kangaroo, just a wild, out of control, hopping up, kicking people. But people would go, that guy's, that guy's successful. He's very <laughs> successful. <laughs> that was my idea of success. That's what an MTV Cribs teach you growing up before you wake up and go, wait a minute, what, are they, what is going on around here? That's, this is, wow. I gotta, I gotta find out all this. This is fascinating to me. Um, cool. All right. A lion. This, this is great. All right. We're gonna, we're gonna come out of the gate with that. This is gonna be great. Where do you guys, Where's he? Where do you live? Uh, we're in L.A. Brentwood, but I'm oh. I'm, orig I'm originally from Alabama and Tennessee. I was in Nashville all week, so I do I, I, I've, I've done environmental work with Bobby for over 20 years, mm. protecting water in the South. Uh, I would assume that's getting uh, harder these yeah, days. But, well, it's harder, but it's also. Um, 20 years later, more people are realizing the importance of water and it's a nonpartisan issue. So uh, they told me that I do a lot of work in music as well. And they told me I could never get country musicians to support an environmental group. And I said, watch this, I'll prove you wrong. And, and, and we're doing it. So, well, I think, I think because the word environmental yeah. is, is it's sort of like uh, you say politician, certain words lump you into this whole thing. You say, environmental now i'm thinking the climate change and right I'm thinking okay green deal i'm like ah, you know what i'm out I'm right out. another another bunch of bananas trying to sell me on some nonsense like, right you know, the wildfires started by climate change oh okay well, they uh we're protecting the creek that flows through their backyard the fish that they're trying to catch and eat and the water that they're drinking and and um you know, that's something I think we can all get behind and, and we're proving that in Nashville. A hundred percent. Wow. We should do an extra, um, we should do a whole podcast on that too. I'd love to. That would be amazing. Let's, uh, let's book it. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. I had a guy, I had a guy on here and the problem is too, that you don't know who's just selling a product or who's, because you have now all these filters and people that go, oh, this thing purifies water and makes it perfect. And this thing settle, and you just don't know who's selling fat free, right? Uh, the new, the new organic, because those words sell. Um, so it's really, it'd be well, really, yeah, that's yeah. a complicated issue. And just the, in a nutshell, my nonprofit sued the 3M company for the Teflon chemicals, um, the PFAS that's in our water. It's a carcinogen. 
and it just so happens they so they put that in the water it and they have now gotten into the fil water filtration business so 3m also makes the filter that removes the chemical that they put in the water so it's just it's, it's a diabolical and they cornered the market so it's a really diabolical version of vertical integration wow we pollute, we'll make billions off the chemical that pollutes the water. Now you have to buy a filter and we're going to sell you that filter too. So, Yeah, yeah. We'll sell you this Microsoft and oh, if it gets bugs, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we got the answer. Who was it? I mean, uh, BP did, did that for the oil spill too. They said the only thing that will dilute, disperse the oil is this corrects it is what they called it and they had it trademarked and they owned it and made it and they sold it to themselves to clean up the oil that they spilled oh you crazy conspiracy theorist <laughs> and it made it it made the oil harder to clean up it's it is fascinating that's the oldest game and people people sometimes they don't believe that so anyway oh, you're talking crazy talk so here he is all right there he is hey sorry to keep you waiting man you're not keeping me waiting. I got nothing to do all day. I got a youngest one that's 18, just graduated, and now I got nothing but time, Robert. Thanks for joining. How, how many kids do you have? I have three daughters. My oldest one is, uh, I shut the bank on her a couple of years ago. You know, the old, I'm going to go to school. And then we go there and we, 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 we go to school for different reasons. We lose our mind. We get called. Like, hey, I, I'm going to break the lease. What? I can't do school anymore. And, you know, I'm watching Bob Ross a lot. Oh, okay. And Bob so, Ross, the artist. Exactly. My, my wife, my wife loves him. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's peaceful and all that, but I think he's, I think the kids love him for a whole different other reason. Why? Uh, Why do the kids love him? They like getting lit up and watch him. There's Bob oh. Ross clubs. So they like, you know, taking a couple hit of weed and they watch Bob Ross. Like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. So, yeah. <laughs> so the oldest one, um, she's now in New Zealand, just traveling the world, traveling, uh, trying to figure things out. Middle one's in college. Now she's in uh, Ireland studying. And then the youngest one doesn't, she just graduated and she doesn't want to go to college. She wants to she wants to travel and she wants to figure things out on her own and she don't want to be part of any corporation and this and that and wants to learn uh, the better things in life and i went i love this kid yeah. um right out of the gate so what about you kids i have seven what yeah mainly there's all still on the payroll <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> do they you get seven kids now how old yeah. is the oldest how old is the oldest what how old is the oldest uh, the oldest is what 35 39 39 39 is still in the payroll no he's not, no, he's not on the payroll <laughs> <laughs> thank god he's not on the payroll <laughs> he actually when that kid, you want do you want to uh, you want to start this podcast and then we can talk about this stuff? Yeah, we're we're, we're already on it. We're we're, oh, okay. we're already in it. We can start. All right. right well, now. Anyway, that kid, he went away. He went to Brown, and then he went. He did a year at University of Bologna, 
And when I went over there, um, he was super skinny. And I said, Bobby, you know, why, how'd you get so skinny? And he said, I didn't have enough money to eat. And I just only been eating uh, pasta for six months. And I was like, I would send you money for food, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's a guy who never asks for anything. Like he, he, right. he always figures it out. Now might mean sleeping on a couch, sleeping on a you know friend's couch or something but he literally never asked me for a dime and he doesn't you know he's he's very very happy without it and then i have a, a girl who's the opposite of that i'm like a, i'm just like an atm machine <laughs> right and the only time the only time she checks in with me is when she wants when she needs cash yes i have <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that but i i'm at the point now when one of them call and i go how much just 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 yeah 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 dad's doing good get get to where get you to the line get to the, how much am i writing how much am i venmo in here just 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 get to what we're buying and what i what am i paying for um and that's okay and i wonder sometimes if i'm doing the wrong thing with that or whatever well where i will say the oldest one the minute I cut it all off, just like your oldest, she's literally living in a van, not like the Farley sketch down by a river. She's she's literally in a van with the boyfriend in New Zealand. She parks by rivers. She's and and she'll once way like you know we're tough on money. And I'm just silent. Okay, well, <laughs> knock him dead out there. Let me know. You keep sending that beautiful scenery. <laughs> I'm sure the two of you figure it out, but you know, everyone has their journey. So seven kids. Now, how old is the youngest one? Youngest one is 19. Oh, wow. And, and then I have a 20, and she's at SMU, and then I have a 20-year-old at uh who's at Harvard. And um he uh and then I have one who, who's living at home right now. Who's twenty? What is him? Twenty-four. Yes. And he got out of Brown. He was a he was a very high-end uh, big air skier for a while, and he's a, a great athlete. And uh, but he's working in a tech company, and he's living at home. He wanted to move out, and I kind of convinced him to stay because I really like having him in the house, and um. Yeah. And I, you know, I spend a lot of time. We, we, I go out, I do something with them almost every day and we just talk yeah. and it's, uh, it's really pretty amazing with that kid. When he, he was a little kid, he was, he played 96 hockey games a year when he was, you know, he was in a hockey league when he was very young. And then he switched to this big air skiing, but I had to bring him to tournaments all the time. Yeah, it's a lot. I ended up spending tremendous amounts of time in the car alone just with him. And I realized how important that was, um, you know, to 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 separate the kids and, and get them alone one at a time and spend a lot of time with them. And I, you know, I bonded with that kid probably more than almost any of my other ones just because I spent... I spent 10 hours a weekend in a car with him just talking about stuff. It's pretty, it was pretty beautiful, you know, you know, talking about everything, you know, and uh, 
when they're that little, they ask. He was asking me questions about, you know, that were completely kind of unbridled by any kind of inhibition or, um, you know, or, or uh, embarrassment or anything else. But he just wanted to know kind of the fundamentals of life, you know, and um, and it, it was just it was it was pretty beautiful. But I talked to him about politics and literature, poetry, tell him stories about stuff. And it was uh just a beautiful relationship. And I think that kid, you know, he was such a, he had ADHD. He was bouncing off of walls from when he was little and he, um, and getting in fights all the time, which he didn't a fight. He was a boxer. He, he went in a lot of boxing tournaments and won them in New York. And um, whenever he was fighting, the other kids would have this grim, you know, look on their face when they're fighting. And he always had a, this big smile on his face when he's fighting. I don't know why. He seemed like an angry, pissed off kid, but he was a really good fighter and he, he fought all the time and he got thrown out of schools. And he, he could have become a criminal, I think, if I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't spend so much time with him. But uh, anyway, I didn't, you know, I, just, I love them all. They're just like such a gift. They're like a comedy team when I'm, you know, when they're together with each other. Yeah, well, especially being a fighter. I mean, where is he? I mean, he's towards the bottom of the back, so he's already surviving. You, you, you may see one thing at the dinner table, but when these kids turn the corner and they're in a hallway, oh, yeah. that's that's another yeah. whole government. That's a whole new police yeah. department. They gotta <laughs> and they yeah. There's things going down there like if you tell the president downstairs what's going on, it's going to get ugly in this way. You still got another, you got four years to live in here, pal. You remember who's the ruler? So yeah, of course he was a fighter. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny. Well, and they, yeah. and they uh, you know, sometimes I'll ask him what you do last night, and they'll say, "Never mind, Dad. You know, you don't, you don't need to know what we did last night." So, and they're all in cahoots on it, and. They know there's only a certain amount of information that I can handle, and they keep the they keep the the bad stuff away from me. <laughs> right, but you do want to know some bad stuff. Like my youngest one, I have that relationship as well, which I have to say, I too realize I have to have a one on one with each one because you 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 get such a deeper emotional attachment. I mean, we are our kids but just like your son my youngest one we i talk to her the way i would talk with my best friend and she's open she's honest she goes far and wide she's not afraid to bring up subjects she's not afraid to to hum be humiliated by certain things and that's that's a powerful gift to have you're blessed to have that i'm glad i'm glad you get to have that so let me how do they how does that affect them I mean, all right, let me just say this. So I've noticed you more in the public eye. Yes, you've been in the public eye, but some people haven't, you haven't been on their radar where now you're going to get, you're really thrown into the public eye. Are your kids or your wife, how long are you married? I'm married now nine years. Nine years. This is the yeah. new. I mean, you're you're not talking cumulatively, right? You're talking about this. <laughs> no, currently. Yeah, uh, nine years. Okay, okay. And the the kids. This is all one or two marriages, three marriages. Well, my I I was married for 
12 years, my first marriage, and then my second, and ended in divorce. My second wife uh, took her own life. And we had been oh. married, I think, uh, uh, like 11 years at that point. And then, and we're in the middle of a divorce. And then, uh, and then, this, so this is my third. Wow. You've had some rough, you've had some rough go at it. Those are, those are strong emotional dealings throughout all that. And so, wow, to have all those kids and still, what keeps you all together, man? What, what gets you through all that? Uh, um, I would say that I have, uh, um, you know, I need to stay spiritually kind of connected all the time. And I make a, yeah. I put a lot of effort into that. But you know, that son that I was talking about um, had a, uh, you know, was he was kind of, a, um, he was around, he, he was at a very, very sensitive age, you know, like eight or nine years old, and his mom took her life. Hmm. And he was, um, he, like I said, he never seemed angry. Right. And but he was very self-contained. So he wasn't, you know, sharing a lot of stuff and it which worried me. Right. A little. But he ended up going on a he was a you know, he's an outdoor adventure guy and he went, went on a kayaking trip on a whitewater trip, a um river, a really famous whitewater river that I used to run once a year called the Futalefu and down in Patagonia at the tip of uh, Chile. Yeah. And he went down there with a buddy and they ended up uh, falling in with this group of Puenche Indians. And they did about 20 Indians. They did a um, an ayahuasca ceremony. Oh, wow. And when he was doing that ceremony, he told me later, he felt like he was being dropped through the earth. And he could see all the kind of geological strata and understand kind of the history of them, how they had folded up over time. And then he was propelled out into space and he would go to all of the, he would be floating in the universe and he, he would see a planet, he'd focus on a certain planet and then he would be transported there and he would have an adventure in each one. And at the end of the adventure, there was a moral lesson. And, um, and he felt like he was doing this for hundreds of years, but the last planet he went to, he ran into his mom and she started passing in and out of him uh, through his body. And every time she did, he felt all of this, um, this understanding and this forgiveness and love and warmth. And uh, he came back from that trip kind of really dramatically changed. And um you know, much more open and talking about everything, like really interested in kind of the deepest uh, feelings and examining, really living and examining life. Um, and, uh, and very, you know, um, and examining his own motives in everything and also kind of other people's in a curious but non-judgmental way. And, uh, but he also started his behavior change. He started taking out the garbage and, you know, washing his dishes and became really considerate of everybody around him. It was pretty extraordinary. And, you know, I, I was a drug addict when I was a kid. So I was a drug addict for about 14 years. And then I went to 
you know, twelve step program, which I've been in for almost forty years. Yeah. And so I'm not a guy who feels like you know drugs are ever the answer. You know, it's it's changing your behavior and you know changing your your life. But you know that really kind of opened my eyes about and you know made me very very curious about some of these hallucinogens and, um, you know that people are using therapeutically now and then since then i've talked to so many people like football players uh navy seals a lot of veterans people are friends of mine who've done the same thing and had these uh really extraordinary transformations that uh you know make you think well i believe i'm pretty sure i just saw a documentary where the person that created AA, yeah, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson, the way he became sober was tripping, I believe, on acid. <laughs> no, I and and when which I will never, I mean, I couldn't do that when I was young. Did I mess around? But what happened to him? was similar, not similar to what, to a degree, what you're talking about with your son, and I'm not promoting anyone to go trip on Amazon, but it, he found God and he never had to do drugs again. And he never had to do anything again. It, it snapped him out of it. He saw everything clear. He saw, you know, God's existence and, and the true meaning of, of our spiritual existence and our souls and who we are and how we're and how we're so out of line with everything you know to, and where we're at as society so that that really blew my mind completely blew my mind um and i don't i don't know how factual that is but there's i i remember my little experience and i thought i saw the devil you know my my friend <laughs> my friend dropped me off and i forgot what was on and he said whatever you do don't look in the mirror because you're still going to be bugging out for a while and what i do i looked in the mirror and my pupils and i i went oh i saw the devil and i went oh you will never own my soul you're gonna be out i apologize for doing this but um that really I, I that really shifted me into uh seeing things in a in a deeper spiritual level because my kid my family was never my dad wasn't a church guy or anything like that but yeah that's um uh, you know just to just to uh, uh correct the record a little bill yeah, please wilson, bill wilson apparently did experiment with acid and he was the founder of AA, but it wasn't at the beginning of his sobriety. He was already sober and had kind ah. of this spiritual transformation um, early. He actually had it when he, there was another group called the Oxford group that preceded AA, which AA is like a 12 step program. Oxford group was an eight step program, but the eight steps were designed to induce a spiritual awakening. And he had that spiritual awakening. Um, and then, and by the way, the Oxford group disappeared because they got involved with the prohibition um, controversy. So they got, they turned political and it ended up destroying them. And that's why AA and its, you know, and its tradition says we can't get involved with any, any political question. Um, but, uh, um, 
he had that spiritual awakening and then six months later he was at a, a he he felt his his desire for alcohol was completely lifted and it, it was a miracle to him because he'd been struggling with it for you know all these years and he'd never been able to stay sober and he always wanted to uh, he was extremely motivated to quit but he, every time he quit he'd, he'd start again and then and then the, he had this spiritual awakening in the Oxford group and it was lifted from him and totally obliterated. It was like he had never drank before and had no desire, no obsession. The compulsions were all gone. And then, and he thought, okay, I'm cured. And six months later, uh, he went, was in Akron, Ohio. And he was, a, he was, had put together, you know, he was a very successful business guy who'd, who'd made and lost his fortune again and again because of his drinking. Yeah. And he was in Akron, Ohio, uh, uh, and he put together a deal to buy the Firestone Tire Company. Okay. And, yeah, and the deal while he was in Akron, they, they he went out there to ink it, and he he thought it was in the middle of the depression, and the deal was going to make him a millionaire and set him up for life. And he put all of his resources into it, and and he got out to Akron. And the deal collapsed. Mm. And he was left in the hotel in Aspen with no resource, no money, having spent everything and screwed, you know, screwed up his life royally sober. And he was standing in the lobby and he could hear that there's a lounge in that hotel. That hotel's still out there. And there's a lounge in it um, that was, and he could hear the ice clinking in the glasses and the laughter mm. of the patrons. And it was, and all of a sudden the compulsion came back and it was just calling him to go in there and take a drink. And he had this revelation, which is the central revelation of this 12-step programs, where he, he, he said, the only way that I'm going to stay sober tonight is if I help another alcoholic. And instead of going into the lounge, he went into a payphone booth and he picked up the yellow pages. You know how those yellow pages used to be hanging on the chain and those. Right. Booths, right? right. And he picked that up and he was paging through looking for salvation armies and calling up local preachers and hospitals and saying, do you know somebody who is a hopeless drinker? And um, finally he found somebody and uh, a, a guy called Dr. Bob Smith. And I, uh, Ironically, they they met each other at the mansion of the woman who was the heir to the Firestone fortune. And uh, he went in and Bob Smith said to him, you got 15 minutes. Because Bob Smith, everybody had talked to him. You know, preachers, right. psychiatrists, everything else. Everybody except another alcoholic. And they ended up staying up all night that night I think they were up for many, many hours. And that was essentially the first AA meeting. And then they both realized the only way they could stay sober is by helping another alcoholic. So then they went to the hospital and found a guy strapped to a bed and uh, and got him in. And that, he was the third guy. And there you go. There. Wow, that's an incredible, see? I need to watch my, that's an incredible story though. And I don't think a lot of people know that story. It's pretty So. <laughs> You know, you know what I, I love that you're so humble and you're so honest. I, I, I think, I think all humanity needs that. Forget just politics. I think just humanity needs that. You know, 
for you to come out and just say, yeah, you know, I was a drug addict for this many years. And what people don't realize is they'll go, oh, this guy was in jail. Or, you know, I have family that was in in jail and uh, or this one was a drug addict. But what they don't see, they just see the label drug addict, but, but they don't realize is the turmoil inside that's going on in their environment that that puts them in that world. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you didn't have an easy upbringing uh, that people don't realize. People just say, oh, wow, uh, Kennedy. Oh, sure, everything must be amazing. Um, or, or, but then you go through, you know, your father's not around. And I don't know what it was like in childhood or whatever, but I know in my small world, all the fathers through either divorce or, or, drug addiction caused you know I, I i lost my oldest brother um years ago and the death of him sent all three of his boys in a complete spot it was it was, it was really hard on my heart to watch that and especially watch the two youngest ones go into alcoholism and and do it and then i had another nephew that and everyone's doing fine now but i find I find there's so much strength and there's so much stories to be told and people just say, you know, I was addicted to drugs, but I know you got a powerful story and you came from somewhere deep of an environment that led to whatever you did. And um, I'm glad you're not there anymore. And I think people should know those stories. And I'm sure they do. I'm sure you wrote the books and all that. Um, (laughs) I'm sure you wrote the books. I'm not a reader and I apologize, Robert. I I will try to read this. Every time I try reading, my face is planted 10 minutes later. Um, But now this is interesting. So before you popped on here, I started hearing about some of your pets. And I hear you had, you had a seal. You had a, a lion. Uh, an emu. How, how, do, how do we? How does? What? What? What is? How do you get there? How do you get to the point where you're like, you know what? I'm gonna have a lion. I want to. I want an emu. I want to. Explain to walk me through this process of how this goes down. Where these are your pets? Because I have a cat. I, I had those. I had those other animals when I was a kid. My my um, my mother came from a family of outdoorsmen, and uh, one of them caught a seal on the California coast. He bought a caught a baby sea lion. He bought a caught a bunch of little baby sea lions, and they had uh, six kids in their family. And he sent a sea lion to each of his siblings for Christmas. And he he said he told us before Christmas. We he always gave us good presents. We said, "What are you going to give us?" And he said. I'll give you a Christmas seal. A Christmas, <laughs> back, back then, back then, Christmas seals were these uh, these little stamps that you collected for charity, and it was a, a pretty, you know, crappy uh, Christmas present. So we we're disappointed. But they, they, you know, a crate came off the a big truck pulled in the, the driveway on Christmas Day, and the, a crate came off, and it was a baby's a little baby sea lion, and we, you know, we raised them in the swimming pool and. Um, there were fish all over the, the yard, and uh, he so he, 
he was just like jumping because you're on the water. No, this was in Virginia. Um, in the summers, we were on the water. But in and how the, old are you? How old are you when you have this? Have the sea lion? I was like probably six or seven. But you know, he stayed with us for a couple of years, and he just swam in the pool with us. He'd jump off the diving board, and he would run with the dogs. The dogs would go into sometimes go into the nearby town. We lived in a very rural area. And they'd go into town and there was a, a milkman who would, you know, bring the milk in the morning and he'd see the seal with the six dogs walking through the town and they'd all jump in his <laughs> You had to be the most popular kid in the area. I'll tell you what, I know if I'm six years old, I'm making friends with Robert Kennedy out of the game. <laughs> um, okay. And then that- that lion, you know, do you remember who Jack Parr was? Yes. Jack yes. Parr was the guy who invented late night TV. He was a comedian right. and he had the Tonight Show before Johnny Carson, but he was the one who started the Tonight Show and he was the biggest thing on TV when we were right. kids because it was right. only one of them. There wasn't a Jay Leno, a Dick Cavett, or, you know, right. a, a, there was just one. And it was Jack Parr and he, uh, he interviewed my dad a couple of times on that show and they became friends. And then he was a was kind of like an animal rights advocate. And he found out, you know, when they made that film, uh, Born Free, which was yes. about Elsa the lion who had, who they, you know, uh, this family in Africa had taken an orphan lion and then kind of returned her to the wild. And she had a life after that where she was half a lion, you know, half, uh, wild, but also kind of a house pet for them. Right. It was a beautiful story. They made it into a movie, but when they, ironically, when they made the movie, they needed a bunch of lion cubs to play different parts of, of Elsa's life. And when the movie got done filming, they were going to kill them all. And oh. Jack Parr found out about it, and he said, I'll take them all. So he took them and then one night when he was at my house for dinner, he said, you know, would you, you guys have a lot of animals here. Do you want, want this lion? And I was there and I said, hey, I like that lion. So that's how I got the lion. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that lion ended up mauling the deer and then they took it away from me. They took the deer away? No, he took the lion after he mauled the deer. Oh, I was out walking him in the woods and he, he, uh, you know, it, it, he, uh, and he, he grabbed a hold of a deer. Yeah. And then, and then the emu I got, I, you know, I have a lot of, cause I, you know, I, uh, I train hawks and I, and hunt with them and breed them. And so I've been doing that since I was nine years old. I'm deeply involved in that and that stuff. And I have a lot of friends who are involved with birds in some way. And a buddy of mine had a, hatched a bunch of emus. And I I took two of them. One of them got killed by the dogs. And the other one I had for a long time. Um, Cheryl, the, I flew him out here. When I moved from, when I married Cheryl, I came to the, you know, West Coast. And I really had a hard time because I didn't know how I was going to get the emu across country. And then um, I had a friend who was called, called Richard Plepler, who was the head of HBO. 
And he kind of, you know, was the guy who kind of started HBO. You know, he was the first. Back in uh, the day. He, yeah, he was the first CEO or whatever he was, but he was the head of it. And I got know, issues with him. I never had a special, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he's gone now. So you've had your revenge. <laughs> but go anyway, ahead. he was coming. He was in New York for the Emmys. And I knew he'd be out there. So I said to him, um, you know, I had just moved and my, my email was still on the East Coast. And I said to him, I said to him, I, I have a I have a bird that I need uh, uh brought to the West Coast, a little a pet bird. I didn't say it was little, but I said a pet bird, and it sounded like he was little. And I said, Can you bring him out of here on the plane? And he said, Sure. And so I uh, I had a friend of mine bring that. He moved to Teterboro Airport, and when he realized it was like a seven-foot bird, he was uh, he wasn't that happy. But his kids were on the. <laughs> he wasn't that happy. <laughs> and uh, his, his... not what I expected, Robert. <laughs> Thought I was getting a cardinal or a little parrot. Anyway, the emu, the emu loved me, and it would go swimming in the pool with me, and it would if I came up to it, it would roll over on its back so I could scratch its stomach, and it would it would come in the house and hang out with you know me and the dogs and the kids. But it hated Cheryl, and it would chase her, and I would <laughs> I would come home, and Cheryl would be on the computer, and I would see what she was looking at. She was like looking at lifespan of emus because she just was wondering whether she, she needed to hit it with a shovel or you know whether it would die on its own. <laughs> well, yeah, eventually, what happened to him? A lion ate him. A mountain lion out here. Oh, wow. A lion actually got caught in the cage. Um, The the lion had come every night. The the emu, this was like during the fires, and and the emu, I moved the emu to a friend of mine's house, a woman who had a lot of pets and horses and stuff. Yeah. And a lion came in and ate all of her chickens one at a time and then it ate all of her guinea heads one at a time and then it ate her two peacocks and it got it when it ate the peacocks it got caught and it was eating its way up the food yeah yeah and when it got when it got uh, when it ate the peacocks it got caught in the peacock cage well, she called the fish and game commission and they came down and they said they said well we'll move them for for you but you know the lion will Probably even if we move him a hundred miles, he'll probably try to get back here and he could get hit by a car or something. So mm-hmm. she was concerned about, okay, this is, this is really the lion's property, you know? And right. oh, she said to the fish and game people, well, do you think that lion could eat the emu? Cause it was the only bird she had left. Right. And they, the guy said, there's no way he could eat that emu. Look at the size of the feet on that thing. And so they released the lion and that night it came back and ate the emu. Oh wow! My wife was not that, you know. She was not in mourning long. Let me put it. <laughs> I feel I, I made a cake for the for the celebration of the emu's life. <laughs> well, here's I guess here's what we get to. Um, I fa- I'm fascinated by the human being that you are, and I, I was never a politician. I don't think half this country were into politics until the last couple of years. And 
we we are probably in the worst state in my opinion maybe in history without being violent uh which which could be even worse mentally i think mentally i've never seen a state of life where everyone's so categorized and and what what i do like about your message out of the gate is um people are going to try to stranglehold you and your your coming your your approach is you've got a great approach i mean you're coming you're I, I i'm not sure if i've any seen any you give me a calm demeanor and i i don't know you as a politician i can't stand politicians i i smell the bs a mile away i think i do and i what what made you go i i'm going to i'm going to run for president why would you want to do that you're such a real human being i just i saw kind of this stuff happening that i well you know stuff that you were talking about like how can this be happening to my country yeah how can the, how can the government be you know collaborating with these social media sites to lie to us about narratives and then you know how come we can't debate things how come we're being censored and then you know i the, you know i saw the war and saw how that was sold to the public with this kind of comic book story rather than you know actually looking at the nuance and looking at the you know the, the you know the provocations on our side and and really trying to figure out you know how do we get into this and how do we get out of it without killing a lot of people and you know mm -hmm. bankrupting ourselves and then the entire democratic party which used to be the anti-war party was all of a sudden you know pro-war pro-censorship Pro pharma, you know, Wall Street, forget about the middle class, they're deplorable. Um, well, you know, we're on the side of Wall Street and the big guys, they're the ones who are going to protect us, the, you know, the, the uh, fat cats and the big shots. And I, um, you know, and then I saw the lockdowns, which were just a war on the, you know, the poor in our country, the war on, on, my, on blacks and, and black Americans and uh, and children and the most vulnerable people in our society and I, you know, who were just getting trampled by it. And, and we, you know, we saw $4 trillion in wealth transferred from the middle class to the, to the super rich on the lot. You know what? The stuff that was driving me crazy when they went out to the beaches in Malibu. Oh, my God. And gave tickets, $1,000 tickets to surfers out in the ocean who were right. like, where there's no chance you're going to get COVID. And then they were going, they went to the skateboard parks in Venice. I remember. And, and they put sand in the, on the yeah. pipe so nobody yeah. could skate. And then they went to Compton and they padlocked the... The, uh, the playgrounds. The playgrounds and they padlocked the basketball courts. And if they couldn't padlock them, they went in and removed the hoops just to make sure that everybody stayed at home, you know, in those neighborhoods where, you know, there's, there's kids in those neighborhoods that are, you know, they're a mile from the ocean who've never seen the ocean because they, they're not going to leave that neighborhood. And now they're locked in, you know, a lot of them, the child abuse went 55% of teenagers reported being abused, 55%. 
Right. The IQ dropped 22% in American toddlers, according to the Brown University study. And blacks were dying at 3.6 times the rate of whites. Why? Because of the, you know, being locked in and, and crappy medical care. And then no access to kind of early treatments. And, and of course, if your family goes in and says, we don't want them on the intubator, you know, what are you giving them? We don't want remdesivir. Nobody's going to get listened to. They lock the hospital doors. They lock the elder, the whole thing. Locking yeah. old people up and not letting their families see them, not letting their families be with them when they died. It was just, you know, the whole thing was, was outrageous. And I've never seen made, anything like it in my life. It made me furious. And I, I just said, nobody is out there talking about this stuff. The Democrats and Republicans are all co-signing this insanity. And, um, and so, you know, originally, I said, I'm just going to run for president too, so that they have to stop censoring me and can, I can actually talk to people about this. Right. But my wife was like, there's no way that you're running if you're not, if you're running to make a point. So I put it aside for a while. And then with uh, pollster Jeremy Zogby, who runs one of the biggest polling firms in the country, with, and I didn't know him. Without me yeah. knowing it, he was polling me all over the country. Yeah. And so he called me about a year ago and he said, I need to show you these polls. And he came to my house and sat down with me. And, you know, my polling was, uh, you know, despite the fact that for three years, I didn't get a single good article about me. Just, you know, people say, oh, you were the you were the antichrist of big yeah. pharmaceutical. Right. We must stop this <laughs> He's a danger to our projections and our mission. Lock them down. Can we find some? Can we find him cracked out somewhere when he's fifteen? Find something on him immediately. Oh, trust exactly. Me. So, I watched you hard. I'm like, oh, oh, they're gonna get him good. All I said was, all I said was, I'm not doing venues that Fort backs, and I believe in God and God. And they're like, you washed up, no good. How dare your wife's got cancer and you have the audacity to spew. I mean, I've never seen such an onslaught to humanity. Oh, I've got the videos. Oh, I oh I got the I saved them all. Um so so I that, so I have three years of that of being the Antichrist, you know, the kooky, anti-vax, uh, anti-science, um you know, uh, conspiracy theorists, and that's all anybody heard from me for three years. Oh. And then looking at the poll numbers and, um, you know, just huge a public approval rating. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it, you know, he did, he did a lot of tests to see whether they think, okay, maybe they think I'm my dad and they think they're, you know, approving my dad, but he looked, you know, he did, um, he did that, uh, those exclusions in the tabs. And it was clear that even though the, the, the media was painting this portrait of me, there were a lot of Americans who weren't buying it and who, you know, kind of liked me. So, um, you know, at that point, I was able to go to Gerald and say, you know, I can actually win this. And, uh, and so, you know, she signed on for me. And I, I wouldn't have done it without her. 
So you a hundred percent feel you, you you can get this in your heart of hearts. Well, that I feel what that you will be you will <laughs> you can win president yeah. of twenty twenty four. Well, I and, do. Yeah, I I think I think I actually um. I actually, what, what, what do you think? Let, let me put it this way. I'd yeah. rather be me right now than any of the other guys in terms of, of placing a bet on me. Because I, I, um, I don't, I really don't see how um, Biden can make it to the, you know, without debating and without, I don't, I think it's going to be really hard for him to. And then there's all this other stuff happening that is kind of ugly. Um, where some of the press seem to be turning on him, and so I, I just don't know. I think I'm, I, I think I'm going to be in pretty good shape. But you don't know. Well, one of the things Kelly Slater said. Kelly Slater did this, uh, did this uh, Instagram or uh, uh, Twitter Spaces with me this week. Yeah. And he's he was one of kind of uh, you know our guy. He was one of the guys who was skeptical throughout the pandemic. Yeah. And um. So, but one of the things he said, which I think is really cool, because most people say if you're if you're if you really want something, like envision yourself, envision success. So right. you know that to me would be envisioning that here I am, the president, you know, of standing in the White House or whatever. And I just find I had a hard to do that. I don't. And but what Kelly Slater said is that. When, when he was growing up, whenever he had a big surf event, a big yeah. contest, he would envision losing it. And and then he would lose all of his fear of losing it. And then he would be able to relax and just do what he wanted to do and not worry about it. <laughs> so I actually find that more helpful because I think if you don't have expectations, you'll never get disappointed. And if you do if you don't have expectations, you can just relax and do what's right. You know what I mean? And feel good and feel peaceful doing it. You're a hundred percent correct. And that not, not only runs for hard for presidency, but that goes with marriage and the kids and everything else <laughs> in life. Don't have expectations. Well, I, I, I love now you're, I guess you're ready for what I call them the professional demons that I call media. And this is what I loved what you did. If you don't mind, I have a clip. This guy to me is the ultimate, I'm gonna come at you and I'm gonna to try to demoralize you. And you did, and, and people are trying to do this with me, right? They're trying to say I'm a right-wing comic or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, whatever, I'm conservative. Uh, you went on this event, so therefore you were this. And I keep telling people, and you said the same thing, which is why I, I really think we need this. Mike, could you play the categorized video? And you come from a family of great Democrats, and yet for some reason you've gone along with this Donald Trump line about stolen elections and so on. Why? I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't uh, I mean you've associated I, I yourself with people well you've been seen on podiums with people who are completely oh intransigent you know 
they think that what that, that Donald Trump had election stolen, that January 6th was justified and so on. Why would you, yeah, why would you I, be I around have, people like that? Here's, here's, uh, well, if you're asking me another question, because what you're saying about me complaining about stolen election, I complained about a stolen election in 2001, and I want to... I wrote an award-winning article about the theft of the 2004 election, but I have not spoken out about this election. I don't believe it was stolen about Trump's election. No, no, I'm talking, yeah. Why do I appear, why do I talk to Republicans? Why do I go on Fox News? And my reason for that, I do those, I talk to people who don't agree with me, and I believe that is critical for a democracy. We have a toxic polarization in this country right now that is more dangerous than the American Civil War. If we don't talk to people who don't agree with us, how are we going to persuade them? How are we going to find common ground? How are we going to end this polarization? I have always well, talked I agree with, I agree with you on my that. opponents oh, on the you. other side. I agree with you on and that. I, and by oh. the way, I talk to them, but I do not compromise my values. Right. I believe in all the democratic values that I was raised with, but I believe that we should talk to people from okay, all sides. So these animals, they, they're going to try. I loved, I was, I was, I didn't know you from a lick in the wall, but I was so happy because he is, they are the monsters. They're like, did they, we got to go in there. We got to discredit them. Ask them, I, bring in the word Trump. They love bringing in the word Trump. They love because in my opinion, um, a, another great thing you brought up was the Durham report. And what you said was, hey, listen, I'm not I don't care if it was Trump. I, 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 you even said, like, I, I, I'm not even a fan. I'm not even a fan that he locked things down. I'm not a fan. They did this and this. What I'm saying is the Durham report clearly says America has been taken out by their own people, CIA, government, social media, politicians, Democratic Party. And that's a very dangerous part of our society. And it's real. And I, I feel they're playing on pure hatred. But you handled it with such grace. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you know, when I was... You know, I was kind of a leader in the environmental movement for 35 years. One of the, one of the top people that, you, that anybody would name as if you ask them who were the most, you know, the, who was the leaders of the environmental movement in our country, my name would be on that short list. I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, vain right. or anything, but I'm sure. just telling a reality. Sure. But during all those years, I was going on Fox News all the time. And I was going on the Hannity show and I was going on Bill O'Reilly and I was going on Neil Cavuto and I would go on anybody who would let me on because I want to talk to those audiences and I want to talk to that host too. And, and you know, I want to test their belief system and say, you know, and also what they believe about me because what, what they're saying about me is not, does not characterize me. And That's so right. I like, I like to be able to talk to people with whom I don't agree. It doesn't mean, I'm co-signing their ideology. I'm not co-signing it. I'm I'm there to debate them and to you know and to win that debate and to have a decent, respectful, congenial conversation with a guy I don't believe in. 
and you know that I don't believe and and that with whom I disagree and that's that's like the beauty of democracy that's what we all ought to be doing we we shouldn't be collapsing into this tribalism whereas if you talk to this guy it means you're co-signing their hatred that's yeah. what I'm doing <laughs> I, that, that, I I believe in the same thing. I don't care. I can do a a venue here. I can be on this platform. I can be on the real way, wherever I'm saying. I'm sticking to what I say. So we're never going to be able to stop people from categorizing us. Do you fear? I shouldn't say fear. Do you think you're going to have a rougher um, attack from the Democratic Party? or from the Republican uh, party, as far as trying to take your legs out and discredit you and all that jazz? Well, I, I think right now, the um, I'm gonna get, get it worse, much worse from the Democrats. So, you know, because I'm running against the Democrat, I'm running against the Democratic president. And so of course they're gonna come after me. And it's not just the Democratic Party. There's all, you know, all of these people are allied with the White House and you and you can read their talking points. You know, you can read. I know how it works. That The White House is sending memos to, you know, all of their friends in the media and they're and you they use the same words, the same language. You know, I saw Robert Reich, who I've known for many years at a, a sort of a hateful um editorial about me yesterday but you know and i you know i don't know what happened but i suspect because he was using language that i've now seen popping up everywhere mm. um that uh you know i suspect that uh you know one of the things they all started using this week is that this is a vanity campaign for robert kennedy but that uh. vanity campaign was in probably a hundred different articles written by different authors that I saw this week. And I, I just know enough about how things work that I know that the White House is, you know, sending those memos out to friendly journalists saying, okay, here's how to go at him. Here's how to go at him. So, um, yeah. So I think it's not, it's not, it's not going to come directly from the White House. It's going to come from their proxies. It's going to come from the New York Times. It's going to come from the Washington Post. It's going to come from Daily Beast, Salon, Slate, um, you know, the other uh, the other organs that are run, that are, you know, have these weird uh, relationships. Rolling Stone now, which has this weird, weird relationship with the intelligence community. And they and you'll see it, and they'll all be using the same thing, and they're going to be hammering me for the next like, I, eight months. Well, I got to be honest with you. I, I think most of the world now truly doesn't trust them anymore. Um, the only people, the only people that are fully invested in these corporations and the news are the ones that are really hard um, to to think for themselves. And unfortunately, where social media like this has opened up such a new can of worms, like I said, I, I'm not into, and there's a lot of people I know like me that were watching you and listening to you. I have, a, I know a lot of people that are diehard Trump fans, but they love what you're putting out there. And 
all I'm going to say, because we, we could be here all day and I'd love to speak with you more and I don't want to, I don't want to eat up too much of your time. I just feel, I'd love to see, and I hope this doesn't offend you. I don't trust my government anymore. I don't trust my media anymore. And I know I'm not the only one. There's hundreds of million. I've been touring. We see it. And it's not even just an American thing. It's a worldwide thing, Robert. We don't trust our governments anymore. We think they're all criminals. We think they're all liars. We think they're all manipulators. We think they're all just mind controllers, along with the news. They've proven that. And I pray to God one day, and I pray to God you're in it for a reason to unite us all. I really do. And I do think you're coming from a beautiful place. I think you're coming from your heart, your spirit, and and I, I hope there's guys like Trump. I don't know anything about Trump, um, but I hope one day we don't have Republican. We don't have Democrat. We just have Robert, Robert Kennedy. We just have this guy, and we just have this group that's all uniting, you know, where one group like you turns the other group like, you know what? Forget being Democrat. I I, I like some of the things. You, I think us two are going to be able to change a lot of things from all of America, all of humanity. And I, I, I'm just going to wish you the ultimate of luck because you're going to have such a storm. But I, I truly feel where you're coming from, and I think I think you're capable of pulling it off in one form or another. And if you don't, I pray to God you put out the messages that at least enough people know that you're coming from an honorable place and they back you no matter what happens and they wake up to understand what's truly important to keep us going in life. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome, brother. And I wish you the best. And, you know, like I said, I have all these. I have the event 201 video. And I'll I'll, I'll do another whole podcast for that. We just you and I won't even need you. Um, <laughs> the the lying news. I have all these uh, CNN, Anderson Cooper. Uh, and all, I'll do this on my own different. I just wanted to get to know you a little bit. And I wanted people to see a different side of you rather than you just being forced to go, hey, blah, 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 and a thing. Because we need this, man. We need it bad. And I know you know it. So much love to you, your family. And uh, I hope we cross paths one day. And do me a favor. If you do win. Yeah, what do you need? I say you get a lion. <laughs> this, how, how amazing would it be you come out with a press conference with a lion? That's that's making a statement, Robert. <laughs> I can borrow one from Mike Tyson. Yes, yes, which was a fantastic interview. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I wish you safe journeys. I wish you the best. And it's an absolute pleasure getting to know you, Robert. Safe journeys out there on the trail. Yeah. Hope we cross paths again. Yeah, we will. Take care, brother. See ya. <laughs> Robert Kennedy. Um, you know, before I, I had all these things I wanted to to talk about, and I'm going to do a wholly different, completely different podcast with it. And right before I got on, uh, 
I was pulled, I, my wife pulled me aside. She goes, Jim, I see you pulling up all the videos and I see you pulling up all this and I see you doing this and you want to, you know, you want to get into uh, conspiracies and this and that and what he's going to do. How about we just get to know a human being? Like, wh wh where's this guy's heart? Where's his mind? Yes, he's going to go into politics. Yes, he's going to. Yes, he's been in the public eye. Yes, he's a candy. Yes, he's whatever. But. I don't know if he's the answer, but I'll tell you what. I can relate to a guy being that open and honest to me and to all of you that's clearly going to run for a leadership. And I want you to watch how they try to come after him. This guy has spoken out against big pharmaceutical, big government. Um, and I think he comes, I, I, like I said, comes from an honest spot. And I pray to God because we need it, man. We need it bad. We don't need any more people saying this side sucks and that side sucks. And they brainwashed each side hard, hard. We need to unite. And we, we need to unite real fast. And we got to stop labeling ourselves and we got to stop categorizing people. And we got to start the basics of finding the deeper connection of humanity. And I pray to God, Robert pulls it off. I pray to God, whoever's running pulls it off because we not only need it here to set an example, we need it in the world. Thanks for hanging out in the Bruniverse, and thank you, Robert Candy Jr., for jumping on today. And congratulations for your uh, running for presidency. We'll catch you next week on the Bruniverse. Later. This is Jim Brewer, and I got my own Patreon page, and hopefully you'll check it out. Live comedy concert streamed once a month. Weekly, you host your own podcast, and you interview me. Early access to the Bruniverse podcast every single week, and have bonus footage and bonus segments. I promise you I'm not going to let you down. Go check out my official Jim Brewer Patreon page, and I'll see you there.